Hey, Podcast Brunch Club. Before we begin, a quick thanks to our organizational partners, Podchaser, Critical Frequency, Audioboom, and Listen Notes. These are all companies you should look into if you're interested in great content and podcast discovery. They support and give back to the listener community. If you're an individual or an organization and you want to support the amazing listener community, think about becoming a supporter. Go to patreon.com slash podcast brunch club. Hi, and welcome to the Podcast Brunch Club podcast. This month, we're exploring the theme of citizen science, and I'm here with Michelle Faye Cortez, the host of the Prognosis podcast from Bloomberg. We featured an episode of Prognosis called How to Build Your Own Artificial Pancreas. And you can find the podcast listening list at podcastbrunchclub.com slash citizen dash science. Welcome to the Podcast Brunch Club podcast, Michelle. Thanks. Happy to be here. Thank you. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about your background and how you came about doing the show? So my background is in medical science. I've been covering this for about 25 years for Bloomberg. And generally, when it when it started all those years ago was basically I was reading medical research in the New England Journal of Medicine and JAMA and Nature and Science. Mm. Every single week, I read every journal oh every my gosh. week. Most of the words, it was very intensive, especially for someone who doesn't really have a very big background in that. So yeah. it was a huge learning curve. And so that, that's what I've been doing has kind of become my expertise in terms of um, scientific knowledge. And then, you know, the world has been changing, as we all know, and access to information has exploded. You can get it everywhere now. You, you know, used to be that you couldn't even get the these journals unless you paid right. for them. Now you can get right. a lot of that stuff online. And you can do everything with YouTube, you can do podcasts, you can mm -hmm. be on Twitter and social media. And so here we are moving into the uh, 21st century and yeah. Bloomberg decided to go with the podcast and they asked me to host it based on, you know, my years of experience in this particular area. And it was really a blast. Yeah, that's a good segue because I was going to ask you next, like, why did Bloomberg, which everybody thinks of as a financial publication, decide to do a podcast on science? Well, so Bloomberg has really always had a, a science piece. We used to do quite a bit more of it. We actually used to really write about Cinderella planets and and ancient ancestors and cave painting and all of oh. that kind of stuff. And we have really kind of narrowed down into more of the the financial and business implications. But honestly, what our podcast was about is innovation. And the truth of the matter is, just like media, just like news, innovation is no longer restricted just mm -hmm. to true scientists, just to people who have PhDs, just to people who have a lot of money in big laboratories. You know, Absolutely. anyone can do it now. So, yeah. so our podcast, our season was looking across innovation broadly, how people can do it, how companies can do it. We explored, you know, we explored the, the human genome and project and how that all came about. We talked about a company that actually invented a drug and is selling it for hundreds of millions of dollars. And wow. so we were just kind of covering the gamut this season. Yeah. And what, what do you hope listeners get from listening to the Prognosis podcast? I think the basic thing that we're hoping for is that they just get, you know, they're interested and engaged and, and maybe a little bit of educated. I mean, the piece de resistance, the best thing would be if somebody actually gets useful information for themselves or their yeah. family members. You know, if somebody 
is is a type 1 diabetic or has a family member who's a type 1 diabetic and doesn't know about these efforts that are underway for this the episode that we're talking about for this week's podcast brunch, you know, that's really great. We've actually gotten feedback from people who have said since listening that they have built their own artificial pancreas. So that's kind of amazing to think. Oh, that, that's awesome. Yeah. To think that you had an wow. impact on someone's actual life. Like usually yeah. journalists can't do that so much, but yeah, yeah, that was really cool. But at the very least, what we want to give people is, you know, good topic of conversation for, you know, on the sidelines of a soccer game or if you have a dinner party, yeah, you just sure. got to talk to somebody, <laughs> got something, something interesting to say. Yeah. I mean, I always joke about it with my friend, like that I will start almost every other sentence with. So I heard on this podcast, my husband has gotten to the point where he rolls his eyes. He's like, oh, really? You know, like, really? You're listening to podcasts all the time. But it's true. It's such a great source of information. And I can tell you that I definitely I, I really enjoyed the episode and I learned a lot. And I have a um, I actually have a medical device implanted in my back. It's it called a spinal cord stimulator. I don't know if you've ever heard of this or you know what it is. I'm sure you do. But it's like it's I describe it like a pacemaker for your spinal nerves. So, you know, for me, it's not life threatening. Like if, pace, if a pacemaker stops working, then you're, you know, you're dead. But if my spinal cord stimulator stops working, then like my spinal cord nerves just don't get like as much stimulation. It's not as big a deal. But the reason I had it is after a couple of back surgeries, I had some complications. I've had many disc herniations. And one of the herniations resulted in me having lessened ability to activate my calf muscles. So like I wasn't able to walk normally. And then I had like numbness in my left foot. And so after years of trying different things, I've decided to, you know, implant this device. And it's so crazy. I mean, it literally is like I have a an iPhone, an actual iPhone that is talks to my device that is in my body. So <laughs> it's kind of crazy. And the idea of like me hacking it is one thing, but then I'm wondering like, is this a real fear that I should be worried about like somebody else being able to hack something that is implanted in my body? So I'll say, n number one, I'm sorry that you've had to go through all that with your back. And I imagine there's some chronic pain involved there. And that's, you know, I do know quite a lot about, about those devices actually. So, so number one, uh, you know, I'm sorry that, that you had to go through that, but I'm glad that you have found something that seems to be giving, giving you some relief and these devices can be really revolutionary for for patients. That and what you're talking about, you know, people hacking in. There's two different pieces to that. Like mm -hmm. what you're doing is not hacking. What you're doing is, you know, an incredibly researched, involved process. Yeah. You know, like those companies have worked so to tiny little specifications, making sure that they're doing everything right and trying to make it as easy for patients mm -hmm. as they possibly can. That being said, there are stories of people who are hacking truly together things for their spinal cords, which I just, you know, like I can't oh, really? even imagine like knowing the kind of exquisite pain that can come through those nerve channels, you know, you do something wrong. Yeah. I, I just don't even want to think about it. But um, so so in that particular respect, what you're doing is not hacking. Somebody else could do it to their own body. I think yeah. they'd be crazy too, but there are reports of people doing it. On the flip side, the right. other thing is the cybersecurity issue. And that's a very real and big thing for the medical device industry. Yes. You know, I think it's a little bit, I per, my personal view, and maybe I shouldn't say it, but I will anyway, is I think it's a little bit overblown. You know, if you want to go in and try to kill yeah. somebody by, you know, fooling around with their pacemaker, you could probably kill them a lot easier than, you know, if you have that skill to 
change their pacemaker. You could probably yeah. do something else. But, you know, in this world, everything is, you know, crazy. There could be some hacker in yeah. some foreign country that is going to do that and, you know, try to bribe you or something. I will say that the industry is really taking it very, very seriously. They they don't have my attitude of yeah. like, if you want to kill someone, you could do it an easier way. And they are locking down all of those pieces. The only reason that our episode worked, the only reason that we can tell the story of the DIY artificial pancreas is because it didn't used to mm -hmm. be like that. But in order to do what what we talk about in our episode is because Medtronic's old mm -hmm. devices used to have a backdoor that you could hack into. You can't do that with the current yeah. devices. They've all shut all those devices oh, yeah. down. So is it possible? Yes. Yeah. Would I spend any amount of time really worrying about it? You know, really, no, I wouldn't personally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, if I really worried about it, I wouldn't have had it done. But, you know, it's like one of those things that, yeah, I mean, that would be a really great way to to like, you know, hold somebody for ransom, literally, because if I had the kind of pain that I've experienced in my past, all of a sudden hit me. And like the way to get rid of that pain was to like give up my life savings. I might consider doing it. Right. Except for if that happened, you would just call your doctor and he'd be like, all right, we're turning it all off right now. And the blue right, right. would come just down. Turn and it off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. You just turn it off. But I mean, I do know that, you know, so one of the devices that I had the option of implanting was actually a Medtronic device. I ended up choosing one from St. Jude's and I had like my own personal uh, person who would come and like adjust it for me. And she had like an iPad that would connect. And, you know, I know that, you know, it's what, what do they call it? It's that RFD. Is that what it's called? Where it's in your phone, like radio frequency ablation. Yeah. It's like, so you can only actually access it from within a certain amount of space. So it's not like somebody out in like Russia could hack into my, oh, <laughs> into right, right, my yes. device. It's only like you have to be within three feet or something of me in order to have access to like, it's, you know, Bluetooth. It's literally connected by Bluetooth. I mean, it's really completely insane. And I kind of feel like a robot somehow. Like I have a device that talks to it's it's really very strange but i do you're kind just of a little bit bionic that. that's all there is to it yeah bionic i like it i'm a bionic woman so yeah i mean i just always think about that personally in terms of hacking you just you know you like medtronic thinks that they closed all the doors but like did they know they didn't even know that one door was open to begin with oh they probably knew that door was open i think they just didn't think anybody else was going to go looking for it which also okay. raises the possibility, though, that you're right, that, you know, that that because of this radio frequency that they're running it on it means that people have to be within three feet. But then is there a way that you can boost it? Can you go over a different network, a different access point? I mean, mm -hmm. boy, all of that is way over my head. Is, is mm -hmm. there the penta is there the potential there? I'm sure that there is the potential there. But, you know, is anyone going to actually? I mean, this would be a great sci-fi movie. Right. Like a very good premise for a sci-fi movie or one of those like doomsday movies. Yeah. Where the where the where the the evil villains are taking mm -hmm. over, creating hordes of people working at their own behest because they've hacked into their yeah. medical devices and totally. have, you know, it's like a zombie thing, except for you're uh -huh. not a zombie. You're just co-opted totally. by uh evil hackers. Yeah. So anybody out there who's listening and is interested in writing a script, there you go. We just gave you one. You're welcome. <laughs> So citizen science and DIY bio, I mean, I feel like it's a pretty new concept and I can see how it's pretty contentious. I mean, the FDA ex exists for a reason. There's regulation for a reason. But 
you know, so it's kind of scary if you think about it. You know, I heard on I was listening to another one of your episodes and I think they mentioned that actually human DNA is pretty easy to get your hands on. You just order it. And so like it's it's pretty scary if you think about it. And so my question is like, what is you know, what are your feelings about the field, especially when it comes to ethics and and that kind of thing? Well, I agree with you that citizen science is is really is really new in terms of a label. I do think that that citizens have been involved in science. You know, we hear about, you know, counting birds and all that kind of stuff for decades uh, yeah. and decades and decades. But this label is really interesting. And, you know, the Science Disrupt podcast that is actually part of this group as well, they went into that quite a bit. It was really interesting. You know, Karen Cooper. She's a professor. I forget exactly which which uh, university she's at, but and she wrote a book about citizen science and talked about how it it is kind of coming about, and w- she wants to get people more involved in that. And I think that there is a lot of areas where that's really a great thing to do, and I think it should be embraced because not only does it in- enrich people's lives who are involved in it, it makes science more accessible and it makes science better. You're getting more people involved. You're getting more ideas and thoughts and perspectives. Mm-hmm. It's it's a brilliant brilliant idea but in the world that i'm in you know when you're talking about about people's health and i mean truly when you're talking about you know going into someone's spine or into their their circulatory system there's all kinds of risks there so i think mm-hmm. that you have to do it really really carefully in all honesty you know reporting on this artificial pancreas project that that we did you know, mm-hmm. if I had a child with diabetes, I don't mean mm-hmm. I don't I don't know. It's so hard. What if you did something wrong and you ended up doing something that did, you know, serious um, and permanent damage? Yeah. I just don't know if I, you know, I'm a person who still wears glasses because I was afraid of LASIK back in the day. <laughs> so, so I'm not exactly sure where I would go, but I know I would want to. And yeah. I think that you have to give people the opportunity. Like, I don't think that, that there should be limits to how much government can constrain what you're going to do. Certainly, yeah. to yourself. Right. To yourself, I, I tend to agree. I feel like it's when you're starting to, you know, sell it to other people to use on their bodies. And I guess, you know, it's still them doing it to themselves. Um, or to but, your child. I mean, that's that's the that's, that's the one that keeps that I keep yeah. coming back to as well. But again, yeah. you know, some of these some of these things are, you know, really debilitating and and there's also always the issue in science and medicine of, you know, people talk about the harm that can come from from a treatment, but there's also harm that comes from not having a treatment. So if you can get Absolutely. a child, you know, if you can start taking away those really low blood sugars, those dangerous blood sugars, things that can be potentially life-threatening, if you can take that away, you're giving them a huge benefit. So it's that yeah. risk-benefit ratio, but then you're asking average people to be calculating that, and should they be allowed to? I mean, I don't know how you stop them, but yeah, that's tough. very interesting moral argument. Yeah. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you was that I know that your this particular episode started out as a print article and then you kind of dug deeper or maybe not dug deeper, but you you turned it into a podcast and included information that maybe wasn't originally included in the article. So my question is, are there things that didn't make it into the podcast that we all listen to that, you know, was left on the cutting room floor or was in the article that maybe we some of us didn't read that you think we might want to know about? 
Well, I mean, that's the, the beauty of being a journalist. It's, it's the beauty and the agony. There, It's like you have all these little babies and you can only put in so many of them. Mm-hmm. You know, you can only yeah. call attention to, to the, you know, the great pieces of a limited number. So there's always things on the cutting room floor. There was an article in Business Week magazine that, that, that preceded this podcast. And one of the reasons why why we did it is because when you actually are allowing people to tell their own stories in their own voices it's a really powerful thing and some of the people that we had talked to for the for the print piece didn't make it into it and then we went back to them and and they just had amazing insights and there are other pieces Naomi Kresge was my um reporter on this particular episode and she and I worked together on the print piece she actually went to um she went to an event in Europe where groups of people were getting together for the first time because this community is all very much over social media and they're disparate all across the world and a lot of them gathered and there was a 13-year-old boy from Germany who was there as well building his own art artificial pancreas. And he was doing it with a device from Korea because that's how it worked for him. And there were people helping him put it all together. And it's just amazing when you start hearing about these individuals and how their lives are changed and how they're helping each other. So it so it is really amazing. There's also the 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 industry piece that you know in neither story do we get into terribly much because the industry actually is working on this as hard as they possibly can. But when you're doing something individually for yourself, you can watch yourself every minute of every day when a big True. company is trying to do something, they have to make sure that, you know, any Joe off the street is going to be okay with this and that they're not going to tweak something accidentally and kill their kid or kill themselves. So it's an entirely different goal that you're looking for, whether you're trying to just change something for one person and it's safe for one person who's being you know, closely monitored by their parents or by themselves or by others, or if it's something that just anybody can go do, watch the unboxing videos from Medtronic 670G yeah. online, you know, you see how people's lives are changed, but boy, that's entirely different than you putting all these pieces together yourself on your kitchen table. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, I mean, and that brings me to my next question. Like, are you worried about these experiments that are done in these DIY labs? You know, I'm worried about the potential that could be done. And and it's not even just DIY labs. I mean, we you see, you know, like there was so much controversy earlier last year, actually, or was it earlier this year? It's all starting to blend at this point. But in China, where they were, you know, mm, they that yeah. there was that CRISPR use yeah. on some embryos. So, you know, people going going rogue is not something that's just you know, for DIY yeah. scientists or citizen scientists, you know, certainly that's happening in in laboratories as well. I mean, that's that's the history of a lot of medicine. We ha- hear stories of people who are injecting themselves, and you know, of course, in that case, it's a little different, affecting somebody else's, you know, CRISPRing babies. But the um, I I do think there's the possibility for things to go sideways, and I think there's almost undoubtedly that that it will happen. Whether we'll hear about it or not, I don't know, but um. But again, you you can't you can't stop that. There's you know you can't follow everybody, right. can't watch everybody, can't limit everything. So you know to how you know there definitely needs to be regulation and oversight, but there, you also yeah. have to respect the limits. Yeah, and it sort of scares me a little bit in terms of like not just the damage that you can do to the individual, but the damage that you could potentially do to the entire human race, especially when you're messing with genetics and genes. You know, if everybody's messing with embryos now in generations and generations and generations later, how is that going to affect the human race? 
Yeah. I tell you what, I hope that there's people who have a lot more expertise and a lot more high-level knowledge who are debating mm-hmm. those those exact issues right now and making sure that we're safe. I mean, you just have to hope that yeah. that is being done. Although, again, coming bringing it back to citizen science, right? Like, you know, from my Citizen Disrupt podcast that I was listening to, that was exactly <laughs> one of the points. You know, that was made by Dave Gustin. He was saying that, um, you know, we really need to involve citizens in some of these topics. You know, when you're talking about nanotechnology or CRISPR, you need to know what the average person wants, what the goals of humanity are. And really, scientists don't have any kind of a, you know, any kind of control. Like, they're not the ones that get should be able to decide that. That's something for everyone to weigh in on, the the research agenda. And so involving citizens in that, especially if it's a disease or a category where certain people are the ones who are going to be affected by it, you really need to have them participating. Yeah, I agree. Well, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you a question that we ask all of our guests. As you know, at most of our podcast brunch club meetings, we kind of always diverge and talk about what we're listening to lately, what we're loving lately. So I have a question for you. Do you have a podcast recommendation for the community? So I'll be honest, I am at, I, you know, I am a a leapfrog kind of a listener. I will see something on social media where someone will say, this is a podcast you can't miss or here's something great. So I don't regularly listen. I don't have like a podcast playlist that when I'm in my car, I hit and listen to everything. But there are a few in my industry that I have found really, really interesting. So like Sarah Cliff, for example, of Vox does the impact and she, she talks about, you know, really interesting things, stories about about medicine and people and things that you wouldn't expect. So I would really listen to to the impact of what she's doing. She's also doing incredible work on the cost of emergency room visits and balance billing and that kind of stuff. So it's really amazing. And then yesterday I was at the University of Minnesota for a conference and I listened to Emily Grassley. She is really amazing. I'm sure probably most people have listened to the Brain Scoop, but I was unfamiliar with it. And I went came home last night and listened to three episodes and it was really, really amazing. She's the I am not familiar with it. Oh, and you're in Chicago. So yeah, she's she's the chief curiosity correspondent at the Field Museum in Chicago. Oh, I I know her. I don't know her, know her, but I've heard of her job title. And I'm like, how do you get a job title like that? I want that job. You know, I just want that job title. Oh, my God. I mean, she's an artist, too. She's an artist who didn't do science at all. And then she fell in love with um, with um, with a museum and the artifacts that they had and the exhibits that weren't actually exhibited, but, you know, skulls yeah. and that sort of a thing. And so she, she was interested in them from her artistic perspective. And then as she got more and more involved in the actual running of the museum so that she could get access to those artifacts so that she could draw them. She found herself you know, doing less of the art and doing more of the science. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's, it's an incredible story. Yeah. But yeah, her podcast is The Brain Scoop and it's really, really great. And some of it is for scientists and for people who you know really care about specifics. And some of it is for you know the taxonomy of candy. You know yeah. how is an M and M like a Reese's pieces, like a Reese's cup, yeah. like you know a gummy bear. So if you're curious how they all fit together, she actually goes into yeah. it. Oh my gosh, that's got to be the best job ever. I think she also has a YouTube channel. I could be wrong about that. Yeah, no, she does. So the final question is just how can listeners connect with you and find out more about the Prognosis podcast. Um, on Bloomberg.com, you can just look slash podcast or prognosis podcast. 
on Apple. We have a website. It's also called Prognosis. And um, yeah, or people can just send me an email. I'm around. mcortez at bloomberg.net. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Michelle, for joining us. It was a pleasure. Uh, it was great talking to you. Thanks so much, Adela. Hey everyone, this is Steve. I'm the leader of the Minneapolis chapter of the podcast Brunch Club. I'm here with some info about everyone who makes this show possible. Most importantly, please rate and review the podcast Brunch Club podcast on your podcast player of choice. Helps us out a lot. The music you heard today is downloaded from Free Music Archive, and this episode featured music from a longtime contributor to the Creative Commons community, Poddington Bear, with their song Elephant Walk. The ad music is from Mazel Ghana, with their song Paradise. Podcast Brunch Club is organized by the amazing bionic woman, Adela. Adela's co-host on the podcast is Sarah De Silva, the leader of the Houston chapter of the Podcast Brunch Club and founder of Audible Feast. Audio editing is done by me, Steven Zampanti. You can connect with me on my website, conceptualpodcasting.com. Thanks, and happy listening!